Hello and welcome here to the B&B show. My name is Brandon. Of course, the guy right over here is going to be Brandon Nelson, just to my left here on this side. And we are bringing, coming to you today with a little bit of a, a different type of show. But uh, Brandon, thank you for coming on in here midweek. How's your uh, week going? How's the, uh, it's, the it's going. It's going all right, I'd say. I'm pretty happy with it overall. Yeah, it's been a... Uh, it's been a good week, even though we're still having to turn over some items and aren't the best three-game losing streak. It's been a bit rough on that side of it. But the um, season still continues on. We still got a fighting chance. Nothing's over yet here, Brendan, and this team does still, in a lot of ways, even though they have to go on a hell of a run, does control their fate here, even with a little bit of a, a difficult schedule kind of coming down the pike uh, to finish this up a bit. Um, before we get into, uh, the injuries, I'm just going to give you guys a bit of preview of the show today. Cause we're going to do a bit of an unusual show. We normally do these breakdowns and we look at each side of the ball for the opposition we're going against and really try to get into it. We just kind of did that two weeks ago with the San Francisco 49er team. And there's not been a, a considerable amount changed since that period. So me and Brendan tonight, or instead of going down the line of looking at this team and looking at that, look at that, we're going to go through 10 items that me and him have kind of come together on, brought our minds together and said, okay. We put these as the 10 most important things at the head of the stack and, and adjustments and things that the Hawks can do to walk away with a victory this upcoming Sunday. So um, we're going to do this a little uniquely in this one, and uh, hopefully you guys will uh, take to it okay. But uh, we wanted to do this a little bit of a different changeup because we just didn't think there was much to be met from just telling you about. You guys know this personnel. We know this team. We played them four times now here in about a year and a half. You know, we know what time of the day it is. But yeah, uh, I, don't, I literally don't think anything's changed since uh, two weeks ago. No, maybe injuries a little bit. Yes, I I would say the same. Maybe the injuries a little bit, and if anything, kind of less in our favor than they were a couple of weeks ago by where we're standing. So let's lead with that here, Brendan. Where are we at right now currently with the um, uh, specifically the Seahawks injury situation? I don't think the Niners got a whole hell of a lot going on on their end necessarily. Uh, actually, they've got a little bit more than we initially thought. They uh they are not expected to have Eric Armstead. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Burford probably won't be the, out there. And today they had quite a few guys not practice. Like um, it was uh, Elijah Mitchell, Ray Ray McLeod. So they may actually be down a couple of guys here that they usually would lean on at least a little bit there. I can't remember the name of their backup tight end, but uh, the backup to uh, Kittle is um, is out of practice right now. Okay. So there's some stuff going on over there. Little little walking wounded. Armstead certainly has given us some issues at times over the years. So, you know, losing him would be big, especially in the run game. He seems to always be a monster against us in the run game uh, when he's out there. Well, how's our how's the Hawks situation looking? Well, um, the, I think the best news is that both our running backs returned to practice today, Charbonnet and Walker. I'm mm -hmm. optimistic about Charbonnet getting to play. Not so much about Walker. I feel like we're going to have to see a little bit more from him than just, oh, he practiced a little bit on a Thursday. Yeah, especially but missing the Wednesday practice tends to be the key one. Yeah, but um, it's a step in the right direction. Um, Leonard Williams made progress today. Jamal Adams made progress today. So those guys should both be good to go by the time we get to Sunday. Um the the downside to the injury report right now, we're looking at Jordan Brooks did not participate. I'm not expecting him to play on Sunday at all. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if they announce that he's going on IR, I would not really be that surprised. I think that injury is no joke. Uh, Trey Brown has missed two practices in a row, so now it's time to wonder about him a little bit. I didn't know there was anything going on with him, but uh, he has now missed two straight practices. And uh, D. Eskridge, I, I don't know what happened, but... Wednesday, it was all good. He was good to go. He was full practice. And then today, he just didn't go out there. You know, he got injured using the vending machine in the hallway. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes he just has, I guess, some bad days when he rolls out of bed. Just not today. It's not going to be a day today, Eskridge. That's what he says to himself. I have not days today. like that. I, I have days like that, but I, I, I'll tell you, I still go to work. I know. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You still got a bed, though. <laughs> you still go make it happen. Um, so, okay. We're relatively, relatively good there. Um, uh, maybe we'll get a little bit of a Macintosh view this week for the first time. Um, I think we might have to, might have to on that one. Um, so, cause you know, Charbonnet, even if he plays is not going to be at a hundred percent. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what we get out of Bush out there. I think that, you know, Bush didn't necessarily play great coming in for Brooks, but I don't know if he was a, a huge drop off of what you have in Brooks either when he was out there last week. He'll be a position I kind of look at and, and pay quite some close attention to in this game if he's out there playing for a, a full stack to see what he brings, especially in the coverage department of things. Yeah, I uh, 
Um, oh, yeah, I, I almost forgot. Geno Smith actually showed up on the injury report today with a groin injury. Don't know where that mm. came from. Jeez. Don't well, want to leave that one out. He's had his share of uh, stuff this year, hasn't he? From knee to arm to, to groin. So, well, he's going to check all the injury boxes this year at some point, it seems like. Uh, hopefully not, but uh, okay. So he's he's going to be kind of laboring through it maybe a little bit as well. Um, but we got our line at least at full health for the most part, right? Um, absent a couple right. guys dinged here and there. And you got your, you know, guys are hurting. Everybody's hurting kind of all these teams, I think, by this year a little bit. So a little bit of this is to be expected by just the nature of the beast getting this deep into the season. Yeah. Anything else Anything else going on from a new standpoint with our Hawks right now? Um, not really, no. Not really. It's all been pretty chill. It's all been pretty normal. I mean, you get this deep in the season, there's not a ton of stuff to even discuss. So, yeah, no, there isn't. Um, no, I, I think that pretty much gets us to where we're going to be on Sunday. We got to find out about some of these players. But um, if I had to guess, I'd say Walker doesn't play, but Charbonnet plays. Um, I think Leonard Williams and Adams play. Uh, I think that Bradford and Lucas play, although I think Lucas will be still rotated. And um, that's about it. Like Evan Brown was injured yesterday, but today he was a full participant, so he's probably fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, Derek Young, probably going to get to see the first extended look at Derek Young this year if there's no Eskridge, because he's uh, hit two practices in a row. All right. Well, we'll see what he brings. He's had that abdominal injury. He's, of course, been fighting through, but uh, maybe we'll see a little bit of him. The team had some high hopes for him coming into this year. Um, well, that does lead us to this game, Brendan. I think we should just dive, you know, right into this. And this is going to be a bit of a unique game preview that we normally do here, folks, where, you know, me and Brendan have chopped this up to 10 things. It's not only these 10 things, for instance, tackling, um, playing better, more disciplined football. Um, I think those are things that are, we're not mentioning. We're going to try to get to more specifics rather than the sort of the big picture stuff that's been issues, because I think it kind of goes without saying the team would really could stand to do better by not giving up 130 penalty yards a game. That's, right. that's kind of the no brainer. We don't really, I think mean to mention that they'd be better to maybe not take five guys to tackle one guy every single play. That might be yeah. kind of nice for the team. So we should also score more points. Yeah. We should also score, score more points. Don't kick as many field goals, try to get more touchdowns in the red zone. Th those are, those are always things as far as keys to the game that I always think are kind of silly. Let's, we're going to go to more specific items. These are specific items that in, in me and Brent talking about, we've looked at that are things that are not just have been impacting you and playing the Niners this last game, but have been impacting you and playing the Niners in recent memory have been kind of inhibiting factors. in when you've played them. And so these are advantages we're looking to maybe see if the team can maybe pick up and utilize. And so we're going to go ahead and go back and forth and bounce this back and forth with each on, on each of ours. We each got five of this, uh, five of these, Brendan, let's start it out with your first one off the top, off the rip. What what begins us off with us for you on your side of it? Uh, well, let's go ahead and start with very simply the fly sweep. Something that feels like we do this every week. We talk about the fly sweeps, how it's clearly meant to be a part of the offense, how much the Rams like to do it, and how effective it is when it's used against us. And so you would think that Carroll would look at something that is very effective against him and think, I should be using that against these other teams. You even drafted a player specifically to do it. Now, granted, that player gets hurt a lot, but that doesn't, I don't think that makes it okay for you to completely take it out of your playbook the way they have at most times during this uh, Waldron era. I guess you could call it during the Shane Waldron uh, tenure. And it's clearly something that is part of this offense. It's something that can work very well. Something designed to kind of stretch the defense to the boundaries, give them something to think about beyond just A-gap and B-gap. And, and we know, we know that Carroll loves his A-gap and B-gap runs, but uh, part of moving into the modern era of football is embracing outside runs, and that includes fly sweeps. So let, let's uh, just start with that. Let, let's get some fly sweeps in this offense. Yeah, I, I think it would be a great place to go to for them. And they've, we've been talking about it for a long time. So will they, won't they? We don't know. But I mean, you went to the Niners last time and you ran a fly sweep one time in that game. It's fact that's the last time you ran a fly sweep and you got 10 yards on the play to Eskridge. And it was a free 10 yards. He didn't have to work hard for it. He just got around the edge, used his speed, and it was right there to go get the easy 10. And I think that they, whether it's Eskridge or even just using anybody, hell, just use it with Bobo for all I care. Just utilize it in your offense. Try to build it in a little bit. 
and see if you can kind of work off of it. Because when you have gone to it this year, it has worked relatively well for you, I feel like. You've maybe had a couple of plays where it hasn't quite gone, but they haven't stayed committed with it to know if it would work or not work throughout the course of this year, Brendan. So uh, I think that'd be a great way to go. And in addition to that, it's not on our notes, Brendan, but you could also kind of probably put a little bit of a slash wide zone slash pitch mm-hmm. plays, couldn't you? You could kind of put those three as stacks uh, in addition to this, which is just utilizing a little bit more of the horizontal plane of the offense, right? Less of needing to be everything vertical, straightforward, more of a, we can take this wide and stretch the defense with a little bit of width. Yeah, another thing that we talk about constantly, and it never seems to happen, even though it sure seems like it should. Sure does. It's odd that it's missing at times, Brendan. I can never quite explain why they go away from it, because as you said, it's such a staple of the Los Angeles Rams and McVay's attack that uh, Waldron came from, and you just wouldn't think it would be missing as much. Uh, Let's go to the second thing for me, which will be the first on my list, second thing, but the first thing on my list here, which is going to be one that we haven't really utilized a lot, but a big part of what is going to be in part of our tactics here with Brendan coming, Brendan and I coming into this game is going to be to look to utilize it to, to sort of use San Francisco's aggressiveness against them, right? You've got like last week, that front four of the Cowboys. We saw it at the Niner game too, where they're just trying to get upfield. They are trying to get into Geno Smith as quickly as they can. And uh, they're going to trust their linebackers to keep the running game clean and all that. But what you can do with those rushers, and my one is delayed handoffs is my is my first one. And that is when you're in shotgun, especially with Gino, which we run a lot of, you you have him look like it's first going to look like a pass. When he takes it, sets up to look like he's going to pass, and then you give it to the running back. And, that, and, and the Niners are looking for that first indication of what we're doing, and then they're going to jump on it. So they see this. The rushers will get up the field. They'll get out of their rush gaps. Then you give it on the delayed, you give it on a delayed draw to a guy like Charbonnet, who works really well out of shotgun, for instance, when he's been utilized on those runs. And I think you can get five, six, seven, eight yards, because I think you'll get those Niners front four trying to get up the football field. And um, we just don't always do a lot of, as we've talked about, Brendan, hiding things or disguising things, especially, you know, we do one thing, one play, that's what we're going to do. What you see is pre-snaps, what you're going to get post-snap. So you start out to show them one thing and then go to something else. I'd like to see if in general and strategy, offensively and defensively, if you can kind of utilize that. Um, to take advantage of it fully. Yeah, I, I I would absolutely get behind doing stuff like that. Um, I will say, it you know, when it comes to running the ball, I also want to see us get out of shotgun and do some actual just straight under center handoffs. Mm-hmm. But I do like the idea of throwing in a little bit of hesitation when you're doing the uh, shotgun draws because the, it is... When you're lined up in shotgun, the implication is that you're going to throw the ball, right? Because you're mm-hmm. lined up in shotgun. Yeah, that, That's why it's there. It, it, it gives the quarterback more time to be able to survey the defense without having to actually back up. And the idea is shotgun usually means pass. So when you misdirect to that degree and you run a delayed handoff, it is something that can really trick the defense. I, I like the idea a lot. And... Um, yeah, with with the person, if we have Walker back for this game, and I don't know if we will or not, but if we do, I we have the personnel to run that kind of stuff effectively for sure. Absolutely, and it's uh, you don't have to run it a lot. I don't think you could sprinkle it in two or three times in the game, and that would be enough to keep the Niners a little bit just a just a smidge hesitant, maybe on trying to get fully upfield to make sure that they're keeping their lanes clean of a running back who has to come through, who might come through there. So uh, just a little spot. This is a small strategy, but some of this is just working it in with the rest of the stuff to make it a little bit more confusing for this uh, Niner defense. What's uh, your number uh, two item on your list? All right. Uh, Let's go with the screen game. This is an area where the Seahawks have made some strides, I think. This year, they've had some games where the screen game was a pretty significant part of what they were doing. They've had some games where the screen worked. They scored a game-winning touchdown against the Browns on a screen. They scored a 70-yard touchdown with Walker on a screen against uh, the Commanders. So it's coming along. And you can see these players that we have gotten over the last couple of years are helping. They're helping make this play work. Like on the uh, some of these screen passes, you're seeing guys like Charles Cross get out there to the uh, get out there outside the numbers to help block in time. And, and then you see a guy like Damian Lewis never getting out there in time. And you're like, well, hopefully next year we can do this a little bit better with somebody else. But yeah, the screen game. I'm, I mean, Andy Reid was kind of one of the first coaches to really understand this, how to use the screen game as an extension of the running game. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to get the ball outside, too, because um, we don't like to run the ball that way. We like to run it up the middle. 
But screen passes, you get the ball to the boundary in the hands of your playmakers without it being a per se running play. So yeah, screen passes. Uh, that uh, Again, that is an area where you are seeing some positive growth. But you need more. You need to keep pushing it. Yeah, they've slightly led into it a little bit this year, especially utilizing JSN on the bubble screen stuff. But it's another thing like the delayed handoff that can help to slow down the San Francisco Niner pass rush because they have to be aware of it. And like they have to be aware of those rush lane integrity and running too far out your lane gap because you're trying to get in your pass rush too much and leaving the door open then for the running backs. Likewise, you get too far up the field and you take the cheese from the offense on those screen plays and you've got a lot of blockers out in front of a guy to be able to get up the football field. So I, it's a way to as well, on top of being able something to be something, Brennan, that I think produces and gives you helps you to move the chains. It's something to also give you a little bit of a built-in help to just keeping the pass rush held a little bit back so they just can't go hog wild, like their hair's on fire across the board. So uh, another useful thing that kind of helps you, I think, on two different fronts uh, with that, Brendan, with the screen game. And both screens, right? Now, you're not just advocating for you know running back screens, but bubble screens and running back screens, right? You try yeah. to usually be both of them in this one. And you got the ones where, you know, up the middle, you got the one screens you throw in the middle of the field, you got the screens you throw to the boundary. You got all mm -hmm. different kinds of screens you can run. And some of our offensive line is capable of doing it. I know some of it isn't, but you've got Lucas back now. A big reason why you draft uh, Cross and Lucas is their ability to utilize their uh, athleticism on those screen passes. So gotta gotta use them or else why'd you uh, wh uh, why did you go get Shane Waldron and why'd you get Cross and Lucas? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely right. I mean, these guys can run it. Lucas can run the screen. Cross can absolutely. He can pull that off. So I'd, I'd love to see him pull it off. Let's see if they try to use it a bit. It's also another thing that can help go after a defense that plays pretty aggressively. They fly the ball. Uh, maybe even whip out one of those ones like the Browns done to us or the Niners have done to us before, Brendan, too. One of those ones where you take the snap and you fake it this way as a screen to this side. You get the defense flowing that way, and then you throw the screen back to the backside. Uh, a second second or two beat later and then hit that running back over there. And, and sometimes you can catch the defense flowing on those kind of things. We've been hit by that a couple of times. The Browns really got us with that a few times uh, in the earlier game this year. Um, my, uh, my number two for me, Brendan, is one that builds off the back a little bit of what you talk about with running some of the running game under center. This would fit really well with this. And I do agree that you got to do a little bit of the running game under center because a lot of that stuff has been good in, in how you run the ball out of it. But then also it really leads well to the rollouts with Gino and him rolling out to the strong side, his throwing side of his arm. A lot of times you get the post snap motion with the tight end or the wide receiver running back across the motion, uh, back across the line of scrimmage after the snap. And they'll be wide open out there in space. And Gino can kind of just flick an easy completion out to them. I love these plays for the easy completion nature of it. I love it because you're maybe taking advantage of, of the Niners sucking in on the running game. And you can sometimes open stuff up deep down the field if you get the Niners, whose corners especially like to play the run a lot. That this is a way where you can take advantage of a little bit of that aggressiveness in the running game if you can look to hit that over the shot. But it's one of those things where I love it as a play because you come off the raw, you give Gino usually like two looks where he's got a deep man down the field. And if that ain't open, he can come down to the check down to the easy throw. Uh, building a few of those into the offense every week, I think is so helpful to get Gino on rhythm, on time, and as well as they tend to be pretty productive plays. Yeah, and it feels like it's a free good play most of the time. When Gino rolls yeah. out, there's nobody out there, or there's one person out there, and they have to either go to Gino or go to the tight end. And mm -hmm. if he goes to Gino, Gino flips it over there. And if he goes with a tight end, Gino can just run for a few yards. Like, it's always, like, easy. It's, like, the easiest play in football. I remember yeah. um, years and years ago, uh, John Madden was doing commentary on a preseason game. And he talked about how if you ran a bootleg on every single play in the preseason, you would just get a free 20 yards every play because mm -hmm. defenses aren't ready to handle that yet in the preseason. And a lot of the time, it feels like they're not really built to handle it in the regular season. There's just nobody out there. Well, and especially with how we hammer the A and B gap runs, because that's where you'll tend to, to run that play action. You'll sometimes do a fake pitch and then roll out the play action. But most of the time, it's you faking the play action to the back, going right up into the air, the B gap, like a power run. And so you run so many of those runs naturally anyway, Brendan, it just should cause that much more of the defense to be sucked in thinking that that's what's coming because we've seen so often of this. And so it, it, that's one of the reasons it is so util it's effective across the league, but very effective for us when we go to it because that's a big part of our rushing offenses up in the middle and just hammering that middle A and B gap. So, you know, use that 
use that kind of weakness of lack of variety in your run game to your advantage if you can, is what I'm saying. And uh, I think that they could here with uh, with those rollouts. Just I like those plays. I like the easy completions for Geno, even if they don't always bring up a bunch, a seven, eight, nine yard game. Maybe it'll only be a four yard game. But sometimes just getting him out into space early in the game, especially and getting those early quick completions, can get him into that proper rhythm. Yeah. What is what is your uh, number three on your list? All right. Uh, number three would be quite simply blitz. Let's talk about the blitz a little bit here because there are layers here. Mm -hmm. There is how often do you blitz? And then there is how do you blitz? Because I already made a video this year and we've talked about it a little bit about how not all blitzes are created equal. You've got your five-man blitzes, which are probably the most common blitz across the NFL. But sometimes five-man is not enough. Sometimes you got to bring that sixth man. And as of a few weeks ago, the Seahawks were last in the league in blitzes of six or more players. Now, most teams don't run them that often. A lot of teams run them about five or 6% of the time. Uh, the Vikings are the one team that is breaking the trend this year. They do it about 30% of the time. I think Brian Flores kind of got there and was like, with this personnel, this is the only way we're going to be able to get by. I just have to completely lose my mind with the crazy blitzing. Yeah. And uh, to his credit, it's working decently. It's okay. And um, the Seahawks are like back of the bus with like 2% right at the back. So there, there are two elements at play here. Blitzing more because the Seahawks blitz an okay amount. I would say not enough given our personnel. And then when they do blitz, it's always a five-man blitz. So let's uh, dissect that. Yeah, the five-man blitzes are troublesome because it is, it is of course, a, a blocking protection scheme. If there's no running back involved, you have five offensive linemen going up against four defensive linemen. And so if you're bringing one extra guy, you're just creating a hat for a hat situation. And as our front four has proven, simply giving them one-on-one -on -one opportunities alone across the board is not enough to provide success in the pass rush game to create hurries, uh, hits, sacks. So you're just essentially kind of getting an extra guy blocked up and removing a guy from coverage for really no applicable gain. And a lot of what it comes down to with Seattle and dealing with them on a weekly basis is about the predictability of them. And like you say, they, they barely blitz. And when they do blitz, it's always a five man blitz and they don't like to go to the six or seven to a league least level. That's a, that's a big thing to provide offensive minds like Shanahan or McVay every week, knowing that that's the way that you're going to run that. You know, that that's, that is your, you can just kind of count on it week in and week out. Um, so I, it's not about trying to blitz it like a top 10 rate. It's not about trying to dial up the blitz over and over again, but it is about dialing it up more than you have recently and taking yourself from back of the league and how you run it, especially when it comes to the six man, six man blitzes and taking a few more risks, not because it's the end all be all solution, but because in my opinion, Brendan, it's the one thing your defense has done well this year. Yeah, there is. I don't think I'm overstating it. You're free to correct me. There is really nothing your defense is doing, quote unquote, good this year outside of rushing the passer off the blitz. That's really about it. Maybe there's a little bit of this or that you can touch on that there, there's something here they do that's okay. But I, to my mind, defensively, there's really not anything they do. They don't stop the run. They don't stop the pass. They don't get to the, they don't generate a pass rush with the front four. They don't get turnovers. Uh, they are not disciplined. I mean, you just you can go down the list, right, Brendan? I mean, pretty much all the way down, and it's going to be that way. Yeah, I don't think we do. I mean, for a while there, we were stopping the run really well, but not really anymore. That that melted very quickly, and now we – I said this a couple of weeks ago. We kind of have a team that isn't really good at anything. Hmm. So you got to look at the one thing that you've had some success on, like the Blitz um, – you know, Jordan Brooks, I think, has been pretty effective on the Blitz this year. Wagner's a great Blitzer. And you would have thought that when we bring Wagner back from um, L.A., we would understand that, OK, we need to use him the way the Rams used him because the Rams, as weird as this sounds, got more out of him than we were when he was here. And we didn't go very far with that. It's like we blitz him maybe a tiny bit more than we used to. And that's about it. it it's uh, it, it's just very, very bizarre because I can't think of any moment this year where the Seahawks got punished for blitzing right mm -hmm. like um going back a few years ago 2020 the let russ cook thing russ actually had a month where he kept turning the ball over that motivated 
Pete Carroll to pull back on the reins on that offense and go back to a run for kind of a not run first, but run a lot more than the average team offense. So there was a connection there, whether or not you agreed with it, you have to acknowledge that it was, you know, everything was good. And then he had 10 turnovers across four games and it was like, okay, no more. There was not that 10 turnover in four game moment this season where, oh, we gave up three touchdowns in one game over the top because we blitzed or, oh, we gave up 45 points in this game because we blitzed a lot and they kept beating it. It it never happened. Yeah. Well, and and to your point on this, uh, for instance, going to Bobby Wagner last year, it confounds me because he sets a, a, he sets a career high in sacks going to this team for the first time in the Rams. They're showing you, Hey, maybe this is the best way to use him here at his age has a 90 PFF score, putting him in a position for success. He was blitzed at a 10% rate last year, Brendan. He's at a 7% rate this year. Uh, Devon Witherspoon, who's got the highest rate, uh, highest grade of any pass rusher of any rookie in this sport is being blitzed at a 3% rate. Jordan Brooks, like you mentioned, who's been very good, is at 5.5%. How about Jamal Adams? Jamal Adams was blitzed in that first year when he came here to Seattle at 13% in 2020. With the New York Jets throughout his time there, he was at 6%. He's at 5.3% right now, his blitz rate this season. So it's all down across the board and without making much sense, understanding too that it's what you do well when you do send these guys, good things happen. I can show you moments like Adams being sent in that Browns game and having the header go off his helmet and getting it. Even this past Cowboy game, you had no defensive highlights in this game. The few that you had were coming on the back of you really blitzing and bringing some heat. Um, so I I hope they do. It's not to ask that they blitz nonstop and they go wild, wild but they take you back up from that place of being like a league minimum level just a little bit higher above that and see if you can get some returns from it. And if you do get some returns, lean into it. Right. Uh, on the back of this one, which I think my third one works really well in conjunction with your uh, third one, which is stacked fronts. And mm-hmm. this is a little bit of the bringing the stack fronts, but not necessarily always bringing them when you do bring them. You bring the six, the seven man guys up there, as Brendan was talking about a second ago, show a little more willingness to bring the six or six or more guys as you're a 32nd ranked team in that realm of things right now. And with that, bring more of those stack fronts. And then it's not always about bringing them. It's about creating confusion, making Brock Purdy think, making the offense a little more uncomfortable. And then you can drop all of them back. You can go to still a majority of the time front four looks post-snap. But draw those guys up around the line of scrimmage to create a little bit more confusion pre-snap with these stack fronts. Things that have given our offense tremendous issues throughout the course of this year. And in my opinion, Brendan, a lot of the front-running defenses right now are running these stack fronts. And then they're running a myriad of coverages post-snap on the back end. The Ravens, to me, are a 4-4 runner in this. And that it feels to me that they've taken – I was talking with uh, Jesse of Last Second Sports last night about this a little bit, where they feel like they've taken the Vic Fangio scheme, which was a cover-two shell – And then you would do a lot of post-snap stuff out of the cover two shell pre-snap. And now what they've done is they've utilized those same concepts, but now also along with the cover two shell stuff, they can factor in the single high and flip a lot of different stuff out of that, right? They'll show you a Quandre Diggs-like single high who ends up becoming a a man defender on the outside receiver over here and your outside corner here becomes your your single high safety on the top. You know, they'll do stuff like that that's very intricate um, that causes a lot of confusion when that's in tandem with those stack fronts, Brendan. Yeah. Yeah. And this is another area where it works really well against us, right? We saw how these teams, especially over the last month or so are using stack fronts to confound our offense. Like the Ravens did it a lot. We saw the, uh, I think the Rams did it a good amount. Uh, I think even the commanders did not that our offense was bad in that game, but They did throw Mm -hmm. it in there a lot, probably because they saw how good it worked for Baltimore. So if it doesn't, if if it's something that you struggle to deal with, you should be trying to make other teams deal with it. It's just like when Pete Carroll was talking about how the Rams always give us problems because they use so much pre-snap motion. And meanwhile, the Seahawks don't use pre-snap motion. It's like, well, um, what can you at least turn it around? So you're using it to your own advantage as well. Mm Mm-hmm. No, no, it's a, it's a great point. You know, you're, you're literally saying out loud the thing we're asking for. Maybe that should tell you something, right? It's also brings up the phrase to mind, Brendan, of if you can't beat them, join them, right? Can't beat this game. Then maybe you want to utilize it. Uh, John Stillwell, thank you for the uh, $50 donation. John, very kind of you, man. It's good to see you in the chat as well, brother. He says, can't stick around. 
but I know you too will have a good show. Well, John, you are amazing as ever with the $50 dono drop. Man, thank you so much for all your support to the channel. I salute you. And uh, sorry, I can't stay around too long, but I know you'll catch it on. Re I know you'll catch this on replay if you can't catch it live. So appreciate you, man. Hope thank you're having you, a great John. night. Appreciate it. You are thank the you. best. Hopefully, we're we're playing with a little new concept here on the show a little bit today. So uh, hopefully, it's it's going over well, John. Uh, be calm, see clearly. Thank you for the two dollar donation. It says, can we actually win this game? I'm tired of losing. Yeah, I'm kind of over it too. I'm I'm over over too. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be the week. Be calm. Um, I don't mean neither me or Brendan. I don't think are going to be putting a pro prognostication box. Shock the world in this one. Uh, I'd love to see it. I hope they do. I'm not out on this season or hoping for tank like some fans yeah. have talked about. I I want I you got a puncher's chance. Keep swinging, and um, we're still in this by all measure, even if the odds look long. And um, we'll have to see how it plays out. But yeah, maybe... yeah, the, the tanking stuff. Like, I'm sorry, but we we kind of went all in to win this year. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's too late to tank. Yeah, and also, I I don't know where you are on this. But I, I don't believe that anything that happens the rest of this season is going to get coaches fired or get Pete out of here or anything like that. I think he's no. pretty well embedded. So there's nothing to gain from tanking. There's like nothing to gain from losing, really. We traded away our second round pick. So a big asset that we would use for the tank is not even with us anymore. We're not going to be picking high enough, even if we lose it. Like, I, I, I don't see the tanking thing on any level. I don't I don't. Unless we think that like Pete Carroll's going to be embarrassed to the point where he just retires because like he can't believe he actually lost eight games in a row and um, it, it just makes him question everything and he just decides I can't do this anymore. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. And I just did. That's what it comes down to. If it's not likely to occur, then what are we talking about with it? And, you know, Pete's got to retire at this point. I don't think they're going to try to usher him out. It doesn't matter what goes down the rest of the season, in my opinion. Um, he's just, it's the situation for what it is. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, however you want to put it, it just is. And like you said, there's nothing to be gained by going up six, seven, eight spots in the draft. Really, you're not getting some phenomenal player that you would have missed out on by having a couple extra wins. It's, it's really not going to make that big of a difference. That's right. To your point. Um, <clears throat> well, let's move on here to the uh, our next one here uh, off of stack fronts. So, so far we got the fly sweeps, utilizing the screen, delayed handoffs, Gino rolling out of play action, some stacked fronts. What's the uh, next item up on your list of something you'd like to see um, imparted through in this particular game? Uh, how about man coverage? How about quite simply use the guy you just drafted number five overall the way he was intended to be used? Mm. How about you uh, utilize Woolen? And I know Woolen's not having his best year. I know he's had a little bit of a sophomore slump. The sophomore slump is real. Mm -hmm. But um, why not use those guys the way you were probably intending on using them? And then from there, you can probably even start blitzing more. So these things all go hand in hand. They do. I, I, and it all does go to hand. The, the blitzing, the stack fronts, the playing man coverage. To me, this all kind of moves together. If they were to go here with a strategy, they've been hesitant to embrace this. But as you've said, Brendan, even in uh, the case of Reek Woolen, he's done a lot of very good stuff out of man. So he has it in his bag to be able to do it. Um, Witherspoon certainly does. And we saw at times Witherspoon last week, I think get picked on in some zone situations early in that game against the Cowboys. This is a place where Purdy's been good against the Cowboy fans love to go. Well, Purdy's been good against the blitz. It's like, yeah, but hasn't Purdy been good against the zone too? Well, yeah. Okay. So there isn't a tried and true fashion to go and beating Purdy here. It's you, you've got to mix it up. You got to change it up. And by mix it up, that would mean we don't run zone 90 to 95% of the time in this game. Yeah, we, or, or how about you do it because your personnel is clearly meant for it. Like mm -hmm. Witherspoon's a man corner. Woolen is probably a man corner. Jamal Adams better in man coverage than, than, uh, than zone. Uh, yeah. I know Jordan Brooks isn't playing in this game probably, but in general, I think he would do better in man than zone. Like mm -hmm. you built your team to play man. It, it's very weird. And again, I've said this many, many times, the teams that play the most man in the NFL still only do it a little more than 50% of the time. There will be plenty of time for zone. You can run plenty of zone too, but it's very weird that we've decided to build the team this way and then we play defense like this. 
It is. It, it's the counterintuitive nature of things at times. And if uh, you wanted to build so zone heavy, you should have found many more zone players to make it work. Because as we've seen, Brendan, we've gotten chopped apart with our zones here this year and miscommunication issues. And this guy not handing this guy to that guy and that guy not picking up this guy running through his zone. It's it's all the mistakes, the worst of mistakes that you can see in zone coverage we've seen this year from this team. So it's another thing, too, on top of it's what these guys do well. It's a strategy you haven't really tried to employ in a year where you've really had your old strategies really get beaten up. Um, and you're still getting chopped up when you're trying to run your old zones, even on, in addition to that. So why not, why not try it just again as something a little bit new and different, especially when I look at, I was asking last night, Brendan, to the guy that was a Niner creator doing a little behind enemy lines thing. And I asked him straight out, I said, Hey, we've played you guys four times in the last year and a half. You're, you know, you're not unbiased. You watch this close. You watch the all 22. Has there been anything that we've done different in any of these four matchups to you offensively or defensively? And he didn't even, it wasn't like he had to sit there and like, he just started laughing and said, no, it, it's, it's, and that's a guy like, he's not a Hawk fan. He doesn't care about Carol. He doesn't, he doesn't, there's no dog he has in that fight. And, um, I, I think that's telling that you haven't really tried stuff out. Some of this is just trying something out. Cause I think the Niners are coming to expect we're going to get that zone. We're going to get them, you know, leaning on their running game, hammering the a gap. They're not going to utilize the outside zone. You know, we can get them with misdirection. Their defense is going to be too aggressive. They're not going to be disciplined. They get a lean in all these things that they know what, what they're going to get every week. And you can't give a, the opposition so many things of what they know they're going to get. Can you Brendan? Yeah. Yeah. It's all, we're already pushing it by running these same basic defensive concepts for now 13 years straight. Like even if they were good, they would be having a problem because these def these division rivals in particular have so long to figure them out and solve them and figure out what they want to do against them, figure out this look, figure out that look. Even if they were good, it would be kind of tough to get good results when we play our division rivals, but they're not even good. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Not even not even at that spot of being uh, decent with it. So um We'll see if they try to maybe make that a little bit more a part of what they do in this game, Brennan. I didn't see a lot of it last Thursday, two Thursdays to go. It, it was really, really leaning again back into that zone coverage and and hoping you could kind of make it work. Um, and having those holes that we saw from the Cowboys game there, even though we were able to contain Purdy a little bit. You mentioned, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, the one great play that you made in that Niner game. As I can, as we've said throughout this year on all these games, that the good stuff the defense does, not just in a single game against the Cowboys last week, but even that Niner game, the pick six came on the back of you doing what? Blitzing, you know, and and trying these things out brings you success when you do try them. It just does take that willfulness to actually go away from the old to make it happen. Um, my uh my fourth guy, my fourth one is uh, one that I think, Brendan, we could probably apply to both sides of the football because offensively against the Niner defense, you are playing a zone-based defense mainly, not a man-based defense, and that's one that can be uh, vulnerable to these kind of concepts. Defensively, this has been a big issue that the Rams and the Niners have really attacked your defense within your zone coverage principles highly, and that are the flood zone concepts. Essentially, by creative means, running two men through a single zone of coverage or running them in succession in zone coverage and creating a hole in the zone by having those two players kind of so close to each other, forcing the defender to have to kind of pick a lane, what lane he picks, you go the other lane. So mine here, Brendan, is we've got to first and foremost defend it. It's been an issue because our linebackers especially will tend to pick up that first player going through the zone and the second guy coming through is always kind of open. But it's been a concept that really, really um, – McVeigh understands Shanahan's really been doing a good job the last year and a half, especially of, of hitting it with the over routes. So he catches us in cover three. He pre-programs it up to where he knows he's got cover three. The safety's over the top high. The corners drop out. He runs that crosser or just the in-cutting route, right? The corner's got to stay over the top. The in-cutting route comes back through the linebacker zones. And whether the quarterback then hits that in-cutting route early or lets him clear all the way up the field, to where now he's got to cross the linebackers and get to the other sideline, it's going to be open up one of the one way or the other because both corners are being run up the field at that point. There's just too many defenders removed to come in there and make a position, and it's too hard to ask the linebacker to jump up there and then hop on that receiver if they're coming across. You know, Wagner's not going to stay with the Brandon Ayuk, right? Um, so uh, eliminating of the of the flood zone concepts defensively first and foremost. And you could do the same stuff to the Niners on the other side of it because they do play a lot of zone as well, and so they they fall to some of the similar 
Um, they're just so good and so talented that they can they can kind of pull it off. They've got the front four that can create the pressure so fast because that's one of the things with this running a flood zone concept. You kind of need the pass protection to be able to hold up a little bit to make it fully work because it takes a little bit of time. I got the first guy run through the zone, then the second guy runs through the zone. So you need to build in that time in your pass protection, which even last week, Brendan, the Hawks didn't have a lot of. Yeah. Did did you see the uh, composite uh, grades for the pass blocking? I did earlier, yeah. What yeah, it's it? like it's um we're 30th. The only two teams worse are the Jets and the Giants in pass protection this year. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. That, that tracks. And that goes and back. I, I think New England and Pittsburgh were right ahead of us. Yeah. That's the thing I've been saying about it with the people making trying to 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 make you know, whether it be Lockett or DK or Gino or JS or if the pass protection is not there, it's gonna affect everything. And, and it's, it's got to, it can't be just undersold as this small little issue that's on the team. It's, it's a major issue on the offense, this pass protection and not holding up like it has. And it's just, you're not giving enough time to make your plays work more often than not. And I, they've got to get that corrected this off season is maybe the main beyond dealing with the front four and the defense. And, you know, what are you doing linebacker, Brendan, getting this offensive line to a place where it's not been where it's been for like 10 years, even going with the Russell Wilson days. And Brendan, we used to blame it on Wilson for holding on to the ball too long. Can't really blame it on the quarterback for holding on the ball too long this year. In my opinion, you're just seeing fast pressure getting back there. Yeah. I, I think that outside of 2017, this is the worst pass protecting line Seattle's had since Carroll got here. Yeah. Like 2017, that was the year when it really fell apart. That was the year that gave us the, the, remember the meme picture against Green Bay where there were like four different pass rushers about to collapse on Wilson at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was a bad year. Reese Odiabo. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. That was the year we traded for um, Dwayne Brown mid season because we had nothing going on at left tackle. That was probably worse than this year. But other yeah. than that, I think this one's much like, this is way worse than like the, the Schottenheimer lines in terms of pass protection purely by the way although they're not exactly prize pigs at run blocking either no so mm-hmm. yeah i i mean it, it, it's it, it's definitely very interesting that some of the same fans that saw the massive problems with our offensive line during that last five year i'd say the last five years of russ in seattle they saw how the offensive line wasn't really playing that well when some of those years they really weren't that bad and now this year we actually have that terrible offensive line and it feels like some people don't quite see it. They're not quite yeah. uh, putting it together the way they used to. It sometimes feels like it's the one that gets mentioned as like the seventh or eighth thing. You know, people will mm-hmm. go to the, to the Geno or the receivers or hey, running game before they get to the pass protection. And to me, it's just in watching so many offenses across the NFL that have gone to hell in a handbag when the offensive line just cannot pass protect I, it's not just how it affects us here. It's a, a across the board. You get a, any quarterback that kind of pass protection, and I think you're going to just see a, a high offensive failure rate in proportion with it. it. Doesn't matter how many skill position players you stack out there or whatnot. It's you need to have a functional line to get these plays to have the time to develop. Especially like, you know, we talked about just uh, uh, on a few of these things. You got on your fifth one. I know you're going to bring up this is one that affects that especially. And it's it's for some of these raw concepts to hit, you've got to be able to have the time in the pocket to make them happen. Um, hell, you can't run a trick play. You can't run a flea flicker if the running back's going to get smacked before he can turn around and throw it back to the quarterback. You know, right. if there's that much kind of uh, inundation of pressure, and uh, that is a little bit of the case. But the flood zone concepts are ones that can work. I think they can work against this defense. Uh, our defense has got to find a way to find solutions to it because both McVay and Shanahan have like laser focused in on this in their passing attack as a methodology and approach to really attack this defensive scheme by its predictable nature, by where you know it's going to be softened up to depth and then you can attack underneath that depth as far as the zone is concerned. So uh, I think that's going to be a big, big, big part of this week and how we defend that. What is uh, your number five? Uh, let's do the sluggo or the stop and go route because um, that's the logical kind of extension of the out route, right? Mm-hmm. You uh, You do an out route over and over again in a game, eventually the cornerback starts to bite. So you run a sluggo and the cornerback who has already bitten on the out is now way out of position and there's not a lot he can do. And as long as the quarterback makes a decent throw, you're going to get a lot of yards. And we have not really been running sluggos this year. I know part of it is probably because the offensive line, because um, 
it's not like the offensive line is completely healthy and playing this poorly. We know the offensive line's bad. So I can understand you don't want to let these long developing plays go that often, but you could do it every now and then, especially with how much you like to run out routes. And we've now had two straight games where there's been an interception on an out route to Tyler Lockett. So they're, they're jumping that one pretty good. Now they're figuring that one out. That one's been uh, solved. We need to find something else in the playbook here and sluggo routes would be great. They would. Um, it, to your point as well, remember in the in the uh, first matchup with the Niners a couple weeks ago, what was it, play two? The out route to DK Metcalf that he dropped, but also the corner was pretty close there in coverage on that out route as well. And so uh, I know in Sluggo it's slant and go, but it, it can be the out. You can have them start to go out. It can be the stop and go like you mentioned. It can be any offshoot of that. What you're trying to do is take advantage of the Niners' aggressiveness and coverage. And if you're wanting to get a play that then can put on bold display to the to the officials and get finally Chidarius Ward to get called for defensive holding, if you got the stop and then go and he grabs and holds him back, that's going to draw the flag. He ain't going to be able to sort of just vet move that one and sort of you know find a way to hide it in the deal. But they play so aggressively to these Niner corners, and we've not yet have we run one stop and go route this year that you doesn't, can remember. It doesn't feel like it. And it's like, if I go back to last year, even I like, I remember the Giants game, remember Tyler did the stop and go for the touchdown at the end where he smoked the guy up. You, yeah. It's weird. You haven't even just tried to go to it once. And I think I, it's just probably Waldron just doesn't have the confidence that the line can hold up in pass protection. Cause it is a, it ain't just a seven step drop. It's sort of like a seven step drop, pad the ball once. And then you got to throw with anticipation and feather it over the top, trying to lead the guy as he's just coming out of the out of the break to go up the football field. But um, it, it would be a place I would utilize to maybe kind of back off these corners, off these out routes a little bit, make them play it a little bit more straight up. Where right now it does feel like they're kind of cheating on those routes. Maybe some of his that Tyler and DK and these didn't run the tightest of routes, but some of his well as we run those routes so often, corners know they can sit on it, and they're going to sit on it when you do run it at such a heavy amount like we do, especially ignoring the middle of the field kind of like we do at times. Right. Um, my fifth one, and this will be our, this is our 10th and final, uh, made, uh, basically tactic approach to going at these Niner team this upcoming week, a, a way to beat them would be, um, and this is a little bit in regards to, for instance, the stat that Brendan Rent referenced about the six man blitzes. And that is uh, different coverages from pre to post snap, different looks of what you say, show pre snap to what you do post snap. The Seahawks are 32nd in the NFL in their predictability pre snap to post snap. And that this should be one that 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 rankles every Seahawk fan. It it should be because this goes even beyond to me the six man blitzes because at least the six man blitzes, Brendan, you can say, well, there's a risk involved by putting the six man blitz there on the back end. Okay, I may not fully agree with it, but I get it. With this one, I don't get it. There's no reason for you to be as simplified in your coverages and what you're showing pre to post snap, especially in understanding how much easier it makes the quarterback position to play. Understanding that you're not going to try to confuse me at all. I'll come up to the line of scrimmage. I'll survey the field. If you're in a cover three look, that's what I get. If you're in a cover two look, that's what I get. Fluctuate the coverages pre to post snap. Change it up. It doesn't harm anything by giving those different looks, Brendan. You know, you're not really sacrificing anything from a standpoint of risking this to go do that. It's just simply trying to, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, trying to disguise, misdirect, Mr. Yeah. disguise, you know, what it is you are doing, which is to me can never be a bad thing in the NFL especially if it doesn't come at the risk of making you vulnerable to something else. So take that 30-second ranking and try to dial that up a little bit more this week. Show them some cover two that goes to cover one. Show some cover one that goes to cover two. Uh, just f change it around a bit. Mix it up a little bit back there. You know, Make Brock Purdy have to think. And if you can do that in conjunction with the stack fronts and a little bit of blitzing and a little bit more of the man-based concepts integrated all in, I think you can have the effect of making that offense get slowed down just a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, we we just got too used. Didn't we just get too used to having the most talent in the league on defense, it feels like? We just got way too used to having, like, four Hall of Fame caliber players um, on that side. Yeah, I, I do think that, that that was a big part of it. I think that the offensive complexity has gone up it's like in 10 years, the offensive complexity has gone up by 30 years, you know, in development, you know, it's like how they say AI can progress and goes like it's rudimentary, rudimentary. And then it's like, Oh, we've got singularity. You know, you, you feel like it's really gone forward and that you can't just stay in this rudimentary approach defensively. I think there's also something he said for Brennan that you landing on those hits, like you landed, you putting the roster you put together 
at the time you did allowed you to then as well to not have your simplicity get exposed because it's very hard to put that level of talent together or that roster together in fine, which is, I think your point, but yeah. you, you can't, you can't put that together, but it did kind of cover it up. That stuff still did exist there at the time. It's why I've also said, Brennan, some people fans bristle at me with this one. Even if you put the Legion of Boom into this modern era, if you're running this same defense whole hog, like you did back then, it wouldn't, it would, it's not that it wouldn't be effective. It just wouldn't be as effective in my opinion. Oh, I definitely not, especially with how so many NFL offenses have thrown out the big play in favor of just, you know, always trying to just take what's there. That That's the, the trend right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So these are our, our 10, 10 items. I'm going to go through one last time here as we, we talk. We've got fly sweeps, use of screen game, bubble screen, screens to the back, blitzes. Don't have to blitz a million times, but just feature it in a little bit more than you've featured it so far this year, especially against this Niner team. Some more man coverage concepts, not man coverage concepts 100% of the time, but way more than you've run it so far this year where everything has been zone-based, especially going up against this Niner team in recent years. Sluggo routes, stop and goes, slant and goes, do an out route and go. Whatever you want to do as far as incorporating it in from the offensive perspective, you haven't tried to run maybe even one, two of those routes throughout the course of the season and corners are playing your receivers aggressive on the outside, try to use it. Delayed handoffs out of shotgun especially. Let's slow down some of that Niner pass rush. Rolling out of Geno off of play action and to Brendan's point, utilization of running game out of under center approach, not just out of shotgun in the running game, but times where Geno's actually under center and handing the ball off from under center would also be kind of nice going together with this rollout because then it makes the rollouts work all that much better, of course. Stacked fronts, bring a lot of guys up near the box, make the quarterback uncomfortable, make the pass protections uncomfortable, get them to call out a pass protection that then's wrong post snap. Hey, we'll block this guy. Oh, that guy just dropped in coverage, but this guy's coming from this other side. But then we've got a nothing better than when you get a stack front, Brendan, and you end up with an offensive lineman doing this move. <laughs> you know, they can't find yeah. the guy to block because he's gone. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, when when was the last time you saw a team playing the Seahawks and the quarterback drop back to pass and he throws it and the moment the ball leaves his hand, he's just like, oh, crap, because a defensive lineman or – uh, an edge rusher, somebody was standing right there to pick it off. And he was like, oh, I had no idea he was going to be there. I had yeah. no idea he was going to drop into coverage there. Like you just see the, oh crap, look the moment the ball leaves oh, yeah. his hand. I, I haven't seen that in a while. It's only happened once this year. And and it's always sits so starkly in my mind for the reasons that you just give, because you don't ever see it any other time. Remember the commander's game with Hal? And Witherspoon spakes down the blitz and mm -hmm. then drops out of his blitz post snap. And then how sort of sort of short, he short arms it. Then where Woolen almost gets the pick and closes on the backside, but he just, he had fully yeah. expected Witherspoon to blitz and he just, he didn't. And even the receiver screwed Hal up because even the receiver is pointing at Witherspoon coming on the blitz. So he's like telling how he's blitzing, hit your hot, get, get to your hottie, get to the hot route. And uh, then Witherspoon called up, but that's the only time you've done that, Brendan. Yeah. I can't think of any other moment that it's happened and, and it's there for you to try to utilize. It's there for you to take advantage. It really is. Okay. Um, last two other items we have on here, defending the flood zone concepts, utilizing the flood zone concepts offensively. This has been one we've long talked about here. And then different coverages pre and post snap. What you show pre-snap on defense is not what you do post snap, or at least you try to go from being a 32nd league level in that area to dialing it up a little bit. That's where a lot of these adjustments come play. It's not to go that they got to go whole hog or use them 100% of the time. It's just take yourself from a back-end league level usage on some of these items to more trying to find a middle-of-the-road state, and with it, you'll probably find some success. Yeah, I like it. So we got 10 items here, Brendan. We got 10 items for how this team can win this football game. You've got to be brimming now with a lot of confidence. You've, you've no doubt talked yourself into here now as we turn this over to a, to a score for this football game. What are the first question are uh, of these 10 items, how many of them do you think the Seahawks are actually going to utilize for this upcoming football game? Uh, I'm going to say we blitz more and that's about it. I'm going to okay. say, but it's all going to be five man blitzes. So not really. it's a half. They're going to use one half. <laughs> I can't even get a full one uh, out of 10. Uh, I get a half. <laughs> Lord. So uh, I guess then when the second question here on the, the back end of this that I would ask you being, uh, if I have you give me the score, where do we uh, where do we land at on the score on this one? I'm going to go with 
30 to 17. I think we do a little bit better than last time, but not a lot. I think the Niners are going to be a little hungover after what they did to Philly. 30-17 uh, with the Niners in this game from uh, Brendan on this one. I, I like that as a, uh, a prediction. I think I'm kind of in the same place. I did 27-13 last time, and I was pretty close to the mark. So let's go um, – let's do it again. I, I think I'm in the same place where I think it's a two-touchdown win for them, and that feels pretty good to me about at that spot. So let's go 27-13 Niners. It will again be my prediction in this one. Uh, I think we do give them a good fight through the first couple of quarters. Um, I think the team's starting to get a little bit tight. The, the tank is starting to get a bit tapped out. And especially if you have in a game like this where the offense can't keep the time of possession evened up and they can't get off the field defensively. And we saw last week, Brennan, it isn't even about the offense getting the time of possession and having the drives. It's also about the defense getting off the field on third downs, which can be a, a part of what tires them out too that we've seen. Absolutely. So it's 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 the combination there. But uh, I wish I could provide you Seahawks fans. I wish Brendan could be, I know he feels the same way. We could provide you a little bit more optimism on this. But we're not blind optimists. We we root for this team. We love this team. But we're not going to just wholly tell you that we're going to win if we just if, if the indicators are not pointing in that direction. I think Brendan's answer to my question about how many of these strategies we're talking about them trying to utilize that we mentioned here is indicative of why there's a little bit of a lack of feeling that we can come out there and take this game as it stands right now because you're just not looking to make a lot of adjustments, are they, Brendan? Um, that's that's a big point. This doesn't have to be our adjustments. But if things aren't working, if things are in a failing state, if things are not in specific areas, of course, not a whole team failing state, but if this is failing and that's failing, this failing, what are your adjustments? What do you call upon to then do something different because this isn't working like this? And that's the place that's been so frustrating for me beyond all else this season, Brendan, is watching the, the unwillingness to even attempt fixes. They don't have to be my fixes, but to attempt fixes has been just so frustrating to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, even down to something like, uh, you know, at the end of that, you know, we don't do anything different. Like, even on the very basic level of pulling Geno Smith out of a blowout loss and putting your backups in, we don't even do that. It, it does kind of feel like the coaching staff goes on autopilot in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, they've got their book of what they do and how they do it, and that's just the way it's done, and it's not they're not going to deviate from it. And there's times right now that there's a lot of things calling for them to deviate from that book. It's getting a little dusty. Pages are getting wore out. A couple pages are missing now, right? Uh, too many coffee stains. Mm -hmm. It's maybe about time to kind of, you know, break out the new book. Mm -hmm. uh, Codad, thank you for the uh, $7 super sticker, Codad. Uh, no uh, no notification on there as far as any note goes from you on that, but uh, thank you for the uh, donation nonetheless. That's, uh, that's very kind of you. Um, and we got, I got us all cut up, I believe on the donos. Yeah, so you guys are very, so. very appreciative of you guys on that. So um, let's finish it up on a bit of this note here today, Brandon, where, where does this off season go from a prediction standpoint, being that we think that this season's going to fit the form, which is, you might be able to get in the playoffs. You might just miss as you were, you were hinting about this earlier. So I just want you to touch on it a little bit more if you could for me, which is the not expecting necessarily any change. I think you and I are both in agreement that Waldron is probably at most the guy that might be moved this offseason. And even him, I don't even know if there's not necessarily a ton of heat for that to happen. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not convinced anything is going to happen. I, I do think Waldron goes because we're going to need something after a season that's this disappointing. And that's the easiest one for Pete to point to as the new uh, guy in the barrel. Yeah. Agreed. The, or the the Patsy or what What was the word you used in your video the other week? The scapegoat. Scapegoat. There we go. Scapegoat. Waldron, Waldron go bah. <laughs> bah. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, do me a favor, please hit that like button today on this video. If you could for us helps us the channel out. If you're not subscribed, please get subscribed up. I'm trying to get to Brendan's mark here, which is good to clip up that 15 K 15,000 mark here by the end of the year, if we can get there. So please do help us get there. If you're not as well, head on over to Seahawks, Brendan Nelson's channel here on YouTube. We do these shows twice a week through the season. We'll be doing it throughout the off season. We're going to go hard on the, uh, on the uh, the prospects, we've got a prospect show that's going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks. I've talked Brendan into actually we're going to be doing a full on live mock draft. So uh, prepare you guys for that. We'll be doing the first unveiling of the BNB mock drafts at that point in time. More to come on that soon. Uh, other than that, we'll be back uh, this next uh, Tuesday for a post game wrap up here on this side of it. Maybe hopefully we shock uh, shock the Niners and able to kind of uh, bring some people back into the fold a little bit on this one. Brendan, I appreciate you doing this, man. We Thank got you. the 
we're still fighting in this the year's not over yet i know we got oh, yeah. a lot of hawk fans here brendan that are that are feeling down the dumps and it does look dark but hey we are still at a place right now where we control our own fate the team can still potentially get hot and find a way here especially if it's on the back of making some long needed adjustments so don't give up until that fat lady sings till she hits that 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 long ah, don't don't give up yet. We're not there yet. And we're going to let you know that right now. So keep the faith, my Seahawks fandom, fellow fandoms. Let's let's just see what they can do this week. Let's see if they can find some answers. Let's see if maybe you can catch the Niners dropping their guard just by a little bit. In the NFL, that's all it takes. The team doesn't come into it fully ready to play. That's kind of going, oh, we can hit cruise control on this one. That's when you can kind of take advantage of them, even if you're a team that looks in a much lesser state than the other one. So keep the faith, fans. Keep the hope. Let's see what the Seahawks do this upcoming week, and we'll pick this one back up next Tuesday. But until that time, do not ever forget even in a tough season. Do not forget even as times look rough and tough as we head in the future. Never give up and never forget. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.